Hey, hey, welcome to the heavy hole. My name's Tom. Hey yourself there, Tom. My name's Big Will, a.k.a. Boy, I got a lot of room now that Justin's not on the couch tonight. Yeah, you guys own uh, so much room. Uh, Justin is at home, yeah. throwing up, yeah. doing something. I spread out the little book bag. I got my water over here. I got my coffee over there. I got my notebook over way over there. Everything is good. No, shout to Justin. Uh, God bless that man and his immune system. We want him better. I, this is not COVID-related. No, it's yeah, a, no, he, no he's flags. fine, but he, he yeah. does happen to be the one who's yeah. so far away. That's the only Godsmack reference yeah. tonight. Thank, in in, in honor, honor of him, I'll yeah. take it. I'll accept it. No no, no yellow flag on that So play. God bless him and God smack him. He probably drank tequila on the beach and couldn't make it back to the studio for this episode. Yeah. He overdid it last night. I believe it. Yeah. Uh, but shout out to Justin. Get better soon, kid. We love you. Um... Uh, but 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 uh, enough about Justin. I want to know about Tom. How was that weekend over there, guy? Did you get some sleep? Uh, I had a long weekend. Oh boy! So you young guys. Uh, well, I I had this uh, family engagement party thing going on. You know, you you socially functionable guys. Yeah, no, I was out there, man. All kinds of people shaking hands and hanging out and doing doing the drinks, yeah. uh, playing traditional Brazilian music, sambas, and things like that. Sarcophago. Sarcophago. Yeah. True. Um, yeah. My new favorite, Jacob du Mandolin. Uh, the finest. I'm going to play it for you off was, record. Was that the album with the drum machine? Yeah. Okay. Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, and it's the finest. Uh, either, I had a great weekend. Good, Good. partying, celebrating. God bless. Yeah, yeah. I Salute. mean. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Um, yeah. But without getting into too much detail, Will, your weekend, tell me about it. Um, I was uh, locked up, figuratively speaking, in my bedroom. Oh. I, did, I didn't break the law. It's oh. okay. I, I know I kept the on suspense. On that. You didn't break into the thrift store, try to get them tapes? Yeah, no, no, no. The tapes are reasonably priced at uh, Island Thrift in Huntington Station on New York Avenue. Big shout. Um... Uh, no, I actually, uh, the cat's out of the bag. Uh, I shared it on Instagram. I got a new little hobby that I've been banging, banging around. Uh, I've been, um... There's no way to talk about a woman. Whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, if I had a new woman, she probably wouldn't be little. But listen, shout out to the big girls. Um, uh, no, I, I got a little hobby I shared on the old Instagram there. I've been silk screening shirts, sir. Uh, shout yeah. to yeah, shout to Inferno Press, Dripped in Ink, and Colossal Customs, and all the beautiful people that make professionally printed shirts and merchandise for bands, um, and Masker merch and, and all that. I am not them. I am a amateur. I'm a hobbyist. I'm an enthusiast. Uh, you're an independent. Yeah, independent man. I uh, um, like 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 like. Uh, what do they call that? A victory garden where you grow your own vegetables. I'm kind of doing victory screen printing in, in, the, right. in the backyard there. In the war against Gildan. Yeah. You are I'm, yeah, doing I, the victory I'm last. Slaying those shirts uh, with beautiful imagery of my bands that I play in. Um, yeah, I, 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 I got a little kit there. I got the screens. This is a family tradition. My mother uh, and my aunt shot to Harbor Art Incorporated from Huntington, Huntington Station-based local business. They used to silk screen shirts for like the local businesses, local factories and companies. People needed shirts for their employees. They used to do uh, sometimes they had like a Save the Huntington Lighthouse cause. 
that was going on in the 80s. It's some, I don't know what was going to raise money for the Huntington Lighthouse, I, I guess. That one. I don't yeah, know. my mom made the shirts. No big deal. Shout you know, out to her. Yeah, shout out to my mom and my aunt. But, yeah, so I, uh, they kind of gave me some pointers. Uh, YouTube was effective for me. Uh, and I silk screened some afterbirth shirts for the show we got coming. It was fun. A little trial and error. A little frustration. Going back to the drawing board a few times. Best way to learn, man. Yeah. Make but, mistakes. Um, but, I, yeah, I got to say, that was fun, man. Uh, I also got a shout-out on the old Instagram there. Um, Big Stephen McDonald over there from Worcester uh, in the United Kingdom, man. Um, uh, we had a nice, um, I, I got to say, a proper British tea time chat over Instagram Live uh, on Monday morning about uh, our gardens, about herbal tea, uh, and about occult, thrashy black metal. So all the features of Harry Potter. Uh, yeah, for the most, really. I never thought Mortuary Drape and Harry Potter had a connection, but apparently so. Yeah, so shout, uh, yeah, shout out to the homie Stephen over there in uh, um, uh, uh, Worcester, UK. We actually, I get, you know, we get feedback every once in a while. We do have a number of listeners from the UK, from Australia, and from New Zealand, which is funny to me because they 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 speak more proper English than I like. I, I would feel that they would kind of be, you know, we're. You know, we're kind of like uh, slumming it over here with oh. the way I speak. You know, I, I uh, got this. you know, they like the show. That's yeah. all that matters. Oh, uh, shout out to Panic Chords. Sorry for pronouncing it Panic Chords on uh, one of the episodes we did. Panic Chords. Yeah. Like well, I said you... pan- I was having fun, yeah. and uh, yeah, I I, uh, I got to write him back on. You forgot. Patreon. You forgot to throw your clothes in the dryer. They're still wet. That's a panic chore. That's Hurry a panic chore. Yes. Yeah, but yeah. So my weekend was pleasant. I loved it. Everything was beautiful. I talked to the people. I made. I did a little creative thing. Uh, somebody else who does quite a few creative things, a lot of projects, uh, part of a scene, uh, a kind of extended network of musicians that all work together on creative things. We're going to talk to him tonight. The man is none other than Nick McMaster, uh, musician uh, based out of New York City. Like I said, part of like we've referenced him before, the, the Men of Groth, the Thousand Cave studio scene. He's also worked with quite a few artists, lived in other places besides New York City. We're going to get to the bottom of all that and more. Uh, Tom, I think you're going to have to get this man on the phone. Checkmate. Bing bong. Big Will from Heavy Hole Podcast, joined with me by my co-host Tom, and of course Justin is with us in spirit. Uh, get better, Justin. He's a little under the weather tonight. Tonight, our special guest is none other than Nick McMaster, bass player, sometimes vocalist, musician extraordinaire, perhaps best known for his work in Kralis. Uh, We're going to get to the bottom of that and all his other projects. How you doing, Nick? I'm doing really, really excellent. How about you? Great, man. Thanks for asking, man. They don't always ask us. How you doing, Tom? I'm doing a okay. <laughs> so much for Justin. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. yeah. God bless right. that man. God <laughs> bless lighting, us, lighting man. a candle for Justin as we speak. Yeah, I'm, no. I'm pouring out a 40 of Vicks VapoRub for him. <laughs> um, but all right, but enough. We can't start laughing yet. We got to get down to business, Nick. Uh, like I said, I think a lot of our listeners are familiar with Kralis and some of your work. Um, we've had uh, 
uh, one of your bandmates in several projects, um, Colin Marston on. We've had Paulo Pagunzalan on. So you've kind of been like in our, like around the perimeter, man. And we're glad we finally locked you in and we're talking to you tonight. Um, so before we get into all that sort of stuff and, and this whole New York City um, extreme metal scene that, you, that you're part of with kind of a close-knit community of other musicians, uh, you know that we always start at the top and we ask, are you from a particularly musical family or was there anyone in your upbringing that kind of steered you towards heavy metal or hard rock? Yeah, um, you know, I've listened to the podcast a bunch, so I was thinking about how to answer this question. Uh, <laughs> Doing homework. Uh, it's it's kind of funny because uh, I, I guess I am from a musical family, but it's my parents don't actually play instruments themselves. Um, I think my dad uh, the my dad played some drums like when he met my mom, but that was when he was like literally twenty years old. Um, you know, it didn't stick with it. But uh, but they are like very keyed into music. Um, my mom has forever um, taught uh, humanities, you know, English teacher stuff at. Um, the Juilliard School of Music in Manhattan, uh, which is like, you know, like a, <laughs> a pretty premier place or whatever. So like, she, you know, she's had like professor friends and things like that since I was like really little composers and stuff like that, who were just kind of like around. Um, and my dad was just, you know, super, super into music. Um, he was a classical, uh, he was a DJ at a classical music radio station um, in his 20s. Uh, and they were both just like Haight Asbury, you know, San Francisco hippies when they were uh, when they were kids. My mom, um, my dad would basically see like every Jefferson Airplane show, and my mom would was really into not only the Doors but uh, Jim Morrison's like band before the Doors, which I think was called Horse Latitudes. I could be a, don't 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 kill me if that's wow, wrong. They, but uh, your mom was into the demos. Yeah, basically. It's like, yeah, oh no, I don't, the doors, that's, you know, it's already over. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I was like, what, you had him there? But, um, yeah, so, you know, growing up, my dad had the whole little kind of like, you know, not seriously, but like the kind of midlife crisis thing, or like wanting to stay relevant or whatever. So, you know, we were just talking about grunge uh, before we started rolling, and yeah, like he would kind of get all of that stuff as it was coming out, you know, Pearl Jam and Nine Inch Nails, Soundgarden, all that kind of stuff. No Nirvana for some reason. That might have been a little too childish or something like that. Or, too, but you too, that but, too big. You know, yeah. Alice in Chains. I mean, stuff yeah. that's like, real respectable metal and stuff even. So so I was kind of uh, processing that stuff. You know, I definitely felt like I had a, a leg up from them. Um, and they also like, they, as was common at the time and maybe still is, like they, um, basically made me take piano lessons because of this idea you know at least in the 80s or ever that like it would make your kid like smart in some way you know like or, or something like the, the funny thing is i'm pretty sure they didn't actually want me to become a musician <laughs> <laughs> it backfired <laughs> it totally backfired but yeah the, i mean the really good the really cool thing about that was that the 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 program they had me in just like by total luck um they had a rule which seems kind of hard, hard ass, but you know, is 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 totally awesome. Um, in retrospect, it's like the thing I treasure, which is that like they made you, if you were taking piano, just the sort of like you know actual just playing the piano keyboard skills, they made you take a separate theory class, like a whole other just theory class in, in tandem. Like I guess they're not wanting you just only learn, you know, just like literally how to play the keyboard, but a little bit more of like what's behind it. Um, and so obviously that stuff stuck with me like a lot more. Uh, because I didn't actually start playing bass until like the latter end of my senior year of high school, which at the time felt, you know, late because you knew these kids who'd like shredded 
guitar because they've been playing since eight at that point they were already like you know awesome um, <laughs> Yeah. So at the time, I was—I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. Just was like 16 years old, but I was like, "Oh my god!" Like, I, you know, this and that. But I always felt like maybe those theory lessons and the piano and stuff like that, because um, I did keep at it too. I, I was like, you know, six years or something like that. So, uh, yeah, kind of putting it all together. So yeah, musical family. If I had to say yes or no, definitely yes. But it's not like you know, it's not like we were all jamming together. It's not like a Lily, you know. <laughs> yeah, not like yeah. well, not like a so, partridge family situation, but yeah, definitely yeah, safe yeah. to say that you were um, well exposed to the arts, um, and I guess in- encouraged uh, to explore yourself in-, in the arts from a young age, right? Yeah, definitely, absolutely. Yeah, uh, that that counts. Shout out to shout out to mom and dad for sure. Yeah, for absolutely. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, I, I do have to admit the. Um, Five oh four nine records podcast interviewed you about two years ago. I did listen to that. I have to credit them as a source uh, today. Is a is a cool. f- yeah fifty forty nine. Yeah. Um, uh, so uh, and I something I wanted to go back to. You kind of you kind of filled in right there. Um, uh, you know how you you take up bass uh, senior year high school. You're trying to catch up. But something you said that I wanted to explore and ask you about a little bit more is that is it did I get it right that you kind of rejected kind of getting into uh, conventional rock bands as music at a certain point um, and, and it was actually skinny puppy and more I guess what you'd call industrial and goth music that caught your attention at first is that accurate um yeah yeah I mean you know for, so there was this do this sort of like survey of just what was what was popular at the time you know with my dad and stuff um, what, what, a highlight of that was he uh, he he uh, videotaped all of Woodstock 94 off pay-per-view, which were like my first exposure to a lot of those bands, you know, Nine Snails, Primus, this and that. So when I say that stuff about 5049, that I said on 5049, like, it's, uh, that's really like when I struck out on my own, but it's maybe a little bit unfair because a lot of this other stuff that was just more, you know, the the, the rock and even type, you know, metal. I mean, Metallica's on Woodstock 94, you know. Um, <laughs> but, I, but yeah, I wasn't into it. The, the very first music that I got into on my own was was actually hip hop in like eighth grade because that was like you know east coast west coast the wu-tang um just like all the stuff that people kind of still think is like some of the best stuff out there you know um and i uh, i really there were like great record stores uh fat beats and then um uh bobito of the like stretch and bobito 89.9 um yes, radio yeah. show on, yeah yeah I, you know you know you know i was like listening to that really late and stuff yeah. um but that was more just about, I mean, at that time, I was first starting, you know, 10, 11, I was first starting to walk around the city on my own, and you just hear rap everywhere, you know? So it was more just wanting to be tapped into this thing that was so obviously like a phenomenon happening, and then taking it a little further, you know, like I said, going to Fat Beats or going to New York and Poets Cafe, and like buying like white label 12 inches and stuff. But it was awesome, because that was like MF Doom, you know, most Def, Cool Keys, like every single, like to a person, people who became famous later, but yeah. Fast forward like one or two years, and yeah, like Skinny Puppy was the first band uh, that I got like just super obsessed with. I got all their records, I got all their fucking you know concert videotapes. I would actually like flip the concert videotapes on eBay, you know, dub them or like the backing films of all the like weird you know random stuff that they would project when they played. Like I had those tapes, and when you know, because um, yeah, they they were they were this band that were just like a full kind of complete package. Um, in terms of the artistic vision and the music and just like really weird vibes. And it's funny because I feel like they're kind of still the key to me, to like my taste, because 
their group that has kind of like one foot in electronic music, one foot in, in metal, really, because they have like a lot of metal guitar. If you listen, sometimes it's kind of yeah. varied, but even sometimes it's, you know, one, one of their albums has the guitarist and ministry on it. And it's got way bigger, just kind of crunchy riffs, you know, um, even if they're sampled, whatever, it's still like that sound, you know, and then one foot is just kind of like pure noise and ambient music. And that's kind of like still my, my constellation. Uh, and the other cool thing about it was that as cool as my parents were, they were not down with Skinny Puppy and <laughs> and, and, and Mersbo, you know, and Coil yeah, and all that yeah. stuff. They, they, they were just like, what? You fucking, you found... Wait, can I curse? Of course. Okay? Oh, yeah, okay. man. They were like, you found the... <laughs> You found the music that, like, we can't hang with, you know, yeah, of course. You, you found the like, one well, yeah, thing. I'm yeah. a teenager. That's my job, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're just playing um, your role in the whole shtick. I mean, you said before they were they were like hippies at heart. Hashberry 8. Right. Uh, right. I, I mean, the Hashberry, God damn it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll just go with that. Anyway. But yeah, like, you know, the Nirvana thing. Like, there were Hashberries probably... involved at some point. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the Nirvana thing. They probably thought that was too close to home, you know. Uh, but yeah, as, as much as parents want to show kids cool music, kids are always going to find something that that rubs them yeah, the wrong yeah. way that and, and yeah for whatever reason the whole like the idea of a rocker in these early days like a kind of like spandex you know kind of guy like even even something like iron maiden which which i later came to to you know really appreciate but like that sort of image really really turned me off um so i didn't get into metal until uh, a little bit later like you know like t- like 10th grade um, and it was like death metal, black metal that had the kind of harder image and the like harsher sounds, you know, which was like more of a parody with with like noise music and, and things like that. Yeah, that's uh, there's a lot there, man. You, you said stretch, <laughs> stretch and Bapito, man. I, are you taking me back? For, for me, it was more staying up late and listening to the drama king, K Slay. Um, oh. uh, yeah, but 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 regard- well, these things are local because the radio yeah. station doesn't go that far right so. yeah 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 man uh, well that was on hot 97 late at night in the early 2000s gotcha. but regardless yeah, I th- am i remembering the radio station right 89.9 they would say 89 tech 9 right that yeah, was, I, I think it was a public access station or something that, stretch that, and Bobby, that, i i might have not got that out here i remember stretch and bob yeah. they were i think they were on hot 97 or power 105 by the time i caught on with them gotcha um gotcha. but but that speaks to something because i'm all the way out here in suffolk county about an hour away from new york city nick you were you were born and raised in new york city correct yeah, Upper West Side of Manhattan. Okay, so yeah, so I mean, so so New York City hip hop, and and you're about the same age as me, I believe. Uh, you were born in what, eighty mm-hmm. 80, 83? 80, 83. Yeah. All right, yeah, so about a year off, but but same, you know, that that era, like you said, you're coming of age, um, a young man, preteen, teen, uh, in the era where like you know Biggie Smalls and Tupac, um, uh, both uh, got shot and and you know died. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, yeah, Wu Tang Clan is huge, and ODB on MTV, and the, the whole thing. And then, and then later on in the '90s, Jay Z's rise to fame, and the whole thing. I mean, to be right smack in the middle of New York City at that time, I'm an hour away out here in the more um, suburban area, and it was everywhere out here. I can only imagine how prevalent hip hop culture was there uh, growing up, and then how, in in contrast, how like lame the more commercial perception of heavy metal must have been at that point. Yeah, I've never really drawn that parallel. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I think it was also maybe that, um, you know, obviously there was underground metal and it was great, you know, all through all this time period. But in the early 90s, you're close enough to the 80s when, you know, hair and glam metal actually was like a commercial force on, on par with hip hop. Yep. Like, or rather, it had been. 
but it was like dead. So even if I was just sort of, you know, a kid, you're very susceptible to kind of just what's in the air. And definitely the vibe would have been like, oh, yeah, heavy metal's down, hip hop is up, you know, or something like that. Well, yeah, I mean, especially to a uh, kid who's trying to maybe get, get into something a little bit more controversial or rebellious. I owned Onyx, Back the Fuck Up, and uh, oh, uh, yeah. Dr. Dre's original The Chronic when it came out before I ever owned a heavy metal album, I believe, when I was a very young kid. Um, for sure, you know, for and, sure. and it was so. You know, you're always attracted to something kind of controversial and, and dangerous. Uh, and I and I've always said too, being from New York, I think people maybe from the cities, um, just generally speaking, from the more urban areas, and especially from the coastal coastal areas, it seems like there tends to be a lot more acceptance of hip hop within heavy metal culture. Um, sometimes sure. when you, when you yeah. go out of state or you go to other, other countries, hip hop and heavy metal don't always you know walk so much hand in hand. Yeah, no, definitely. The, I mean, I, yeah, I, I would agree with you. But uh, but yeah, I mean, it's kind of it's kind of all the same soup, you know. And like you said, it's like, you know, you'd have to be really thick to grow up where either of us grew up and just like close yourself off to it. Because like I said, it was like every car blasting past every yeah. street corner, you know, things like you know, every bodega or whatever. Uh, the other thing is that my, my dad was in the film business and um, he worked on the movie Above the Rim around this huh. time with Tupac. And um, brought home one of his tapes uh, strictly for my, yeah, you know that that word, and uh, so I guess I, I violated the. <laughs> I mean, in any case, it's a, it's like an acronym, and it's supposed to be this like flipping in the positive way, you know. It doesn't actually, but whatever. But yeah, I, I love that tape, and that was like the first thing, and to have this sort of connection, this is kind of, I mean, it's dark, but uh, but 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 also kind of you know, uh, kind of a good story or something maybe that like, um, Tupac was shot non-fatally like a year before you know he was shot fatally and they were making this movie and he was shot in new york like i think it was like in, around times it was like a record, uh, 49th street it was 7 723 49th street i used gotcha. to work i used to work in that building well that, that oh yeah, yeah yeah that was the infamous shooting where he tupac i guess believed that that biggie was behind it and all that that was right yeah, yeah exactly yeah yeah yeah, wow. for yeah. yeah. Wow. so so but anyway they were they were making this movie and part of my dad's job at the time was to you know loosely keep track of like <laughs> your number two star you know like <laughs> things like yeah, that just yeah, like yeah. is this guy ready to go into you know so it was just like there was this one night in it and the and the call came through um you know and then and then of course it was all over the news but it was like the call came through and the then it was just like me and you know my my parents and then me and i'm like you know 11 and my sister is like seven and we're all just kind of like hovering by the phone like is tupac okay like we <laughs> hope he's okay <laughs> wow oh man that's surreal yeah i know yeah jeez i remember going to school when that happened and like all the kids were upset and everything and then when biggie died it was yeah wow man taking me back it's like you're painting this picture of your yeah your younger years in New York City, like this, just seems like something that a lot of people um, like fantasize about. <laughs> like growing up during that time period in New York City, and like uh, all that exciting music coming out. Like, oh, the the nineties. Um, well, yeah, something else. you were talking about Biggie. I, I feel like I, I'm, I, I, this might be like a, you know, whatever you make up the memory later. But I'm pretty <laughs> sure I heard I was like listening to Hot ninety seven around this time, you know, super young, and they were like. This is a the new notorious B.I.G. song, and it was kicking the door, wave in the four four, or whatever that song's called. And it was like the first time they played it on Hot ninety seven. I was just like, man, this is 
fucking awesome this time rolls. <laughs> because, because, well, I mean, it's like now it's it's like you know uh, commercial music history. It's 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 you know it's it's hip hop history. But you know, it's yeah. like at the time it was just like what's on the local radio station. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah, it was you know, just like oh, turn it on. You know. Um, yeah, to, to be right there um, uh, for it. Well, you know, we're talking about all this New York City culture with hip hop. Something I wa- I did want to ask you. You know, you talk about later on getting into Skinny Puppy, and you mentioned even some more obscure acts like Coil um, and and uh, Merzbow. Being in New York City, did you have the opportunity to go to some of the clubs? Uh, that featured that more obscure music, which, in my opinion, sometimes is even a little bit more obscure and harder to find than extreme metal in terms of a live scene. Sure, yeah. Um, it wasn't about clubs because, again, you know, I I, le- I left the city for for college when I was still seventeen, so clubs weren't. There there were a couple things. I'm pretty sure my first show, which I, which my dad, chaperone my sister and I too, was Cool Keith and Company Flow at Tramps. Awesome. So there was... That's awesome. <laughs> great. I love it. This is great. I had there no was, idea it was going to be this hip-hop, dude. This is right, right, yeah. Right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, in terms of the electronic stuff, you know, because I was super... If we go forward a teeny bit, yeah, like um, the bands you mentioned, but also like the Warp Record scene, uh, Autocur, Apex Twin, Square Pusher, all that stuff coming out. Um, but yeah, it wasn't about clubs. It was about record stores. Because that was like, kind of a, a, in retrospect, like a golden age. Like there was, um, there was other music. Uh, there was Generation Records, which still exists. Um, there was a place I think it was called Etheria or whatever. It was just, um, it was just like uh, you know, kind of non-dance, you know, IDM type electronic music. There was uh, Sonic Groove, I think, up on Fourteenth, which was which was dancing stuff. There was Jammy Land, which was like reggae. Which interestingly. Dom Ferno eventually took over that space for his like hospital records and stuff. So it was just like, I mean, all these sh- all these shops that were all so specific to their thing and had like real depth. And you could also just go as a dumb kid and like talk to them. Yeah, remember the the, the um, other music stuff apparently started calling me eventually the Muslim Gods kid because um, that's a electronic music act um, from the same time period that it was like. Uh, not too harsh musically, like very, like a little bit more rhythmic, although not dance. But they were very harsh image-wise because even though the guy was British, he was just like a die-hard, um, like pro-Palestinian. Uh, I don't want to say activist because he didn't really do anything except other than music. But but that was just all his music, all his titles, like everything was like about that, you know, free Palestine, like all that kind of stuff, um, or or really any of those situations that you could go to. Uh, colonialism and an oppressed, you know, Islamic or Arab people. Um, yes, but I, but he has like two, three hundred CDs. He's like a shut in. You just, you know, just like, you know, like when I was like working my little high school jobs or whatever, you know, and I go to other music, locals, and they're like, really, another Muslim gauze CD? And I'm like, yeah. Wow, <laughs> Muslim gauze? Yeah, never heard of it. One that- word. There, well, I mean, not not necessarily that specific subject, but does does that? Would you say that that speaks to kind of the um, the extreme uh, uh, subject matter and the extreme extremely specific nature of a lot of these artists um, with like this experimental industrial noise music? I mean, it seems like a lot of them, uh, may, maybe not not necessarily that specific angle on it, but they they pick something and kind of hone in on it and um, they push it to an extreme. Yeah, yeah, I would say that's that's definitely fair. And and you're right. Like, um, despite the sort of theming, Muslim gauze was like situated in the sort of like British industrial scene. You know, the kind of children of like Throb and Gristle and 
that yeah. kind of stuff. He just, yeah. that was kind of his own spin. But to go back to your question, yeah, like, I think in terms of New York and all this stuff kind of just like, you know, influencing me and stuff, it was, um, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't really clubs. I wish it was clubs, you know, there was stuff I was probably would have wanted to go to but uh i'm sure you know amazing stuff was happening um uh but yeah it was it was a little bit more record shows. oh although actually come to think of it the last like year that i lived in new york i did intern at the knitting factory tribeca um okay. and i would do like flyering which just seems like so nostalgic at this point like going around you know to these record stores and dumping off flyers and stuff but uh <laughs> that sounds awesome though but yeah the deal was you could go to any show for free if you did that that was like the pay because there wasn't an actual pay Oh, um, but yeah, I saw a lot of I saw a lot of really awesome stuff. I remember, well, the show that keeps sticking in my mind is um, Suicide, which was like a punk early electronic group, but but like with punk um, playing with Pansonic, which is like this Finnish uh, experimental electronic music group, but from like 15 years later, and they would like make all their own gear and noise boxes and stuff. Whereas Suicide were like you know more like the Lydia Lunch kind of kind of generation and vibe you know and the guy was just like one guy on sense and another guy who was just like a punk who would like walk around with a chain and like you know swing it at people (laughs) (laughs) but you know i mean that's awesome like curation is what i'm saying like drawing parallels and stuff like that um so yeah you know clubs too although i couldn't really appreciate it but yeah i mean just a lot of density i guess that that knitting factory i know the knitting factory um i don't know their situation with reopening i haven't kept up but uh they were in brooklyn most recently, I, I got yeah. to, I got to see I saw the Locust once and I saw Melt Banana once when they were in New York City there when they were in Manhattan there I should say um, yeah that, yeah, that, yeah yeah that, that was a cool, really cool they, yeah well you guys have probably played the Williamsburg one right you, or you you played that in some band uh, I played the New York City one with BioLich years ago Whoa. with with Manhattan but I don't I, I really don't I could be mistaken but I don't believe I've ever played the Brooklyn one with any of my bands. Um, gotcha. I played gotcha. it once with uh, Ultra Geist. Weird lineup. It was Ultra Geist and um, Glassjaw. They Interesting. Asked us, yeah. Nice. Yeah. And then, nice. um, wait, <laughs> Unearthly Trance. So it was all just yeah. lo- random Long Island bands. <laughs> yeah. Just, uh, it was a yeah. strange lineup. Shout out to Ryan. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Ryan's awesome. But that was cool. That was actually the first time I saw Unearthly Trance, and it was it was great. But either way, yeah, cool venue. And I yeah. hope they, uh, yeah, they yeah. Up. Will just a teeny bit of memory lane because I don't think I've, we've ever discussed this. But um, a, a little later when I was in, in college in Chicago, but I was coming back to the city. So, but they maybe like I don't know, oh two or three, whenever it was, the first uh, Demolich come around. I I was at that show um, at I don't think it was called North Six then, but they, it was like they just had the basement part and it was Demolich and Biolich. Yes, yes. Yeah, I was at the show. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Good times. That might have been the most well-attended show of that whole first uh, Demolition U.S. tour. Yeah, that yeah, because you got out, you got out, uh, out, you know, the greater U.S. and it was maybe a little grim because it was like, who the fuck knew Demolition at that point, right? They definitely came back and had um, they they had a triumphant comeback. Uh, when yeah, they came yeah. Back the next right. time, I'll I'll say that much because yeah, the first time they had to slug it out through the desert. Uh, uh, and really, only playing for the true diehard cult fans at that point. But, but yeah, we. I'm glad to see. You know, I just saw them added to that big uh, Hellfest over in Europe too, man. Um, really good to see Demolich just getting their getting their just dues after all these years, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. No, with the the later tour, whatever 2012 or something like that. I was maybe 11. I was at the Maryland Death Fest. That was a stop of that, and yeah, just seeing like the whole 
yeah. Maryland Death Fest go nuts for them. It's like, okay, you know, they got their due. So many bands um, uh, that fade into obscurity, man. At least somebody, yeah, you know, yeah. a few of them. Demolish was always funny to me because the way that I found out about them was when I went to college. Uh, and uh, so Lev and I, um, Lev Weinstein, who's the drummer at Kralis and many other bands, uh, you know, the drum person I played with music the longest, we, we went to high school together and, and then also to college Chicago together. Chicago and we uh, we hooked up with this dude in Chicago who was way older, which is to say he was 24 at the time, whereas we were you know, 18, 19. Um, and he was like an experienced death metal musician from um, Cincinnati, this guy Foy Scalf or Dave Scalf. Um, and uh, he uh, just because, yeah, I should probably say this to not rather than be being big, he had been at a band called um, Internison in Cincinnati yes. with, yeah, yeah with Jared Anderson, who would go on to be in, you know, Hate Eternal and Morbid Angel and stuff like that. And in Turnison had, had in fact toured with Morbid Angel. So for me and Lev, just like trying to figure out just like how to do, you know, death metal. I mean, death metal is so, it's, it's such a wall of sound that when you, when you start listening to it, that it's like, and then you just pick up your instrument, you're like, how, how do you, how do you make something so constant and so like, you know, just so full and crazy? Um, so he sort of like schooled us because he had this like, you know, it was like he had like touched the the real shit, you know, like the like, you know, hate eternal morbid angel. Like, oh, my God, because and not to mention the internist demo, you know, it's one of these tragedies. This would never happen now because a band of internists quality would just be online and everyone would be like, this is great. And then they would play Maryland Death Fest, you know. But at the time it was like, you know, this dude, boy, he like sold guitars and a bunch of stuff or whatever just for them to record like a three song demo. You know, and then just nothing happened because, you know, whatever, like, you know, there wasn't like an environment to get picked up and this and that. Um, I do but, remember but, the but, yeah, name. That, sorry. I, I don't, I'm sorry. I, I remember the name from the 90s. Maybe I saw it advertised. I don't know that I ever heard it. Well, so eventually later uh, there was a, a, a more released Internison album. Okay. Um, but that was basically after Jared had done his spells in like Morbid Angel and stuff and just had a little bit more clout. He basically went back and like redid the songs um, just him and I think the drummer or something like that. But it like, it wasn't the original band. Yeah. yeah. It was like, it was like, he was like, okay, give him this. Series. So it's kind of like not the, you know, the, the, the three song demo and this like live thing that we had was just like, yeah, way more of a thing. Anyway, the, the connection to Demolage is just funny is so obviously this is like, you know, total death metal head. Um, but you know, everybody's got like, kind of caught things or this and that. And um, we were really vibing on the first Necrophage on set of Future Faction at that time, which was relatively new, I think. So I think because of that, this like older head hadn't, hadn't heard it. And so we described Necrophages to him, you know? And then the next time he, he saw us, he brought the Demolish CD. Cause he was <laughs> like, oh, well the way you were describing the music, I thought you were talking about this band, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Wow. It's like, well, you know, good guess, but <laughs> That's that's interesting, man. I like that, man. I, 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 yeah. Cuz it's you, know, you can see how the shit it's just that they're not as fast, really. But and, well, and also both bands kind of just left like a legendary album and have been like, you know, like de- like right, like right. like talked about in like hushed, you know, you know, circles uh, you know, about their 
their like you know prophesized return you know or whatever man right. like <laughs> right, you know there's right. still a message board out or a comment section out there right now some kid is like i heard i heard muhammad is, is going to come out with a new album and dude april know. fools <laughs> posts every year yeah. like new yeah right Sages that demo. that uh, that that internet picture with the like um skeleton you know and cobwebs on the mixing desk like yeah <laughs> yeah 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 exactly <laughs> waiting for the new necrophagers well we all, i think we all are in one way i'm i'm in i'm never expecting it nor nor a new demolic <laughs> neither don't yeah just leave it that's yeah, perfect demolish did it right because they just kind of like left it at, and they were like they, they cut a few things here and there but they left it at that classic album but nick you you actually you, you rolled the segue you, i could tell you listen to the show because you rolled the segue <laughs> right into chicago uh, I wanted to get to, to Chicago, but first we got to talk about Lev Weinstein, who you brought up, your longtime bandmate in many projects, um, uh, most notably on drums. Uh, tell us a little bit. I know he's actually a few years younger than you, and you mentioned that you guys attended high school, right? Yeah. So he's really just one year younger. So he okay. was in the grade below me. Got it. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm actually like. I'm like I like skipped a grade early on, so I'm I'm not even a full year older than him. But it was like you know high school, so stratified with the grades or whatever. Um, but yeah, no, Lev. I mean, that was that was like kind of funny, like how how it happened, like because um, I wasn't exactly into metal, but I was into all this other shit. And the, and the funny thing is, my my um, kind of music friend at the time um, was this guy Mike Sachinsky, who did also go on to do a band. He went on to do that band uh, Genghis Tron. Which was uh, yeah, um, yeah, doing a bunch of stuff in the in the two thousands. I mean, even like toured with Converge and stuff like that. Yeah, uh, and I always thought it was funny because you know eventually we were listening to like a lot of electronic music and a lot of metal, and would like even like make like mixes at his home where we'd have you know segue like fucking Apex Twin into Dark Drone and stuff, and that was then basically his band. So it was kind of funny. But yeah, shout out to Mike. Actually, I, I got it. Uh, we we were just talking about the Knitting Factory in Manhattan. I believe Biolich played with Genghis Tron at the. I, and I, I remember I remember we hung out with the dude Hamilton. Yeah, yeah, band. the guitarist. Yeah, this, so yeah. Mike was the keyboardist, like the guy behind all this. Okay, all right. I'm, yeah, I'm sorry for interrupting. Just quick. No, no, no yeah. they came um, out with a new album last year. It's actually they're, pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, they just, I, they just oh, put something yeah. new out. Yeah, yeah, it's nice, solid nice. stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um. But yeah, so so Lev, you know, you know how it is in high school. You're not necessarily so prompted to be friends with people who aren't exactly in the same grade as you and stuff. Um, <laughs> but Lev was like, you know, the kid who would like, you know, was obviously into metal, like would wear a Pantera shirt or something like that. So there was this point around like tenth grade where I just like made a conscious decision to get you know more into it, um, and. Uh, uh, because I actually, because Mike Sachinsky had played me "Fear, Emptiness, Despair" by Nipom Death, which is the first death metal album I ever heard, and I was like, "Okay, like this." I actually, the funny thing is, he played for me, and I hated it. <laughs> but then he left, and I couldn't stop thinking about it. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, "Okay." So then I, I, I just like went out that night or the next day to the HMB, you know, RIP. On, on 96th Street and Broadway, and I was I wanted that record, but they didn't have it. They had Diatribe, which is the next one, which is, you know, fine, but ooh, it's not nearly as good. Ooh, <laughs> ooh, <Contentious. laughs> All right, okay, okay. Well, you know, we have a like whole... The the, what was the episode we did? The Slaw and Order. Yeah, we did a whole episode where I went off on Diatribes. On Diatribes, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I mean, it's definitely a little bit the, the easy road, but... Uh, I, well, but I, yeah, I, so I tried to defend its better qualities, actually. It was like I was the, I was a defense attorney for Diatribes. <laughs> oh, you're the defender? Okay. Yeah, yeah. it I was... Guess, for the listeners, yeah. that's the Slaw and Order episode from, like, very early on. 
on in our career. But yeah, so I won't rehash it all here, but I have a very special relationship with Diatribes because it's actually the first Napalm Death album I owned. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. uh, way oh, back yeah, in the day, too. Yeah, so, so yeah. We, we both got over that. It's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Well, Napalm Death was really crucial only because a, a couple, I mean, time is time's so weird. I have no idea if it was a couple of weeks or months. It probably was just a couple of weeks or whatever. But, like, then we found out that, um, you know, listening to this Napalm Death record or whatever, we found Napalm Death was coming. They were going to play Coney Island High. Wow. Uh, yeah. And, but they, were, they weren't headlining. They were opening for this band. And we were just like... Huh. Who is this band, Morbid Angel? <laughs> so, but so, but, you know, we go there and I'm like, well, okay. I'm like reasoning. It's such kid reasoning. I'm like, I'll probably enjoy, even though I don't know who Morbid Angel is, I'll probably enjoy their set more if I buy their CD before the show and just listen to it a lot. So I like know the songs, you know? So I got Formula's Fail to the Flesh, which was just like, good one. Yeah. Oh my God. Just like peeling my ears back, you know, like, holy shit. Um, <laughs> and then, and, you know, and then we went and, uh, and the show was like, Napalm Death was, you know, they were awesome, but that was like, you know, kind of, it was very like, kind of fun. Like it was like a big, like punk party, very like lots of like, kind of not that violent moshing, but everybody just kind of moving, you know, and the whole place just kind of alive, you know, I remember. And then I remember yeah. Morbid Angel came on with that formula set and it was just like, it was too fast and too intense that people couldn't move. And they just, people were just like standing there. Huh. Totally frozen, yeah. just like headbanging really fast. Yeah. You know? <laughs> just like totally. Wow. And that was just it. I mean, I had this thing. I probably said it on Jeremiah's podcast, you know, but like it hit me that like they were making shit that was as intense as Mersbo with like the Beatles lineup. And I was like, that's fucking rad. Like, that, that's they don't have any, way. you know, no noise generator. That's just a normal ass bass. And yet that sounds, it sounds like that, you know. So it's a great way to put um, it too, because like it's sometimes you have a hard time. Um, uh, resolving the idea that this is like a conventional rock lineup, like the Beatles used, but we're doing death metal and grindcore with it. It's like it's, but but that's a good way to put it that you're doing something as extreme as like Merzbow with a with a rock lineup. And I yeah. gotta I gotta say again, you know, just to bring up one other old episode of ours when we interviewed Danny and Ronnie from Malignancy. Ronnie told us about how in the late '90s the death metal and grindcore scene started getting less popular, and he said, he's, in his words, he said all the bands got squeezed, the whole scene got squeezed into smaller venues, and he brought up Coney Island High. So I just wanted to reference that, uh, and that, like, like you talked about how it was like punk and people. What, what was Coney Island High like in the late '90s to attend a Morbid Angel show? Because now Morbid, I mean, I saw a Morbid Angel at what was that the the Best Buy Theater or something? Like yeah, I saw more Cannibal right. Corpse, yeah, I, you know, Blood Incantation. Like yeah, it's that was a... back now. So like in the late '90s, what was it like seeing Steve Tucker era Morbid Angel, the first Steve Tucker era at Coney Island High? No, I mean it was sick. Like the the stage area was about the same as Vitus, um, but then like the front area was possibly even like smaller. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. So yeah. it's got to be just like a two hundred cap uh, venue. And the funny thing is that it was right on St. Mark's, like right off, you know, right at the start of St. Mark's off 4th Avenue, which I just can't imagine basically any music or anything interesting happening now, you know, anything that's not just like a New York fucking city t-shirt uh, happening now. Yeah. So like, that's yeah. kind of crazy too, that you would just be, you know, be in the thick of New York city and just like turn off and, you know, open a door and that like that's happening. Um, I'm always kicking myself because like I wasn't, I didn't get into death, the band until, um, like my freshman year of college or something, you know, the next couple of years. But, uh, yeah. like, a month or so before the show, I described uh, what Death was there on the Sounds of Perseverance tour, um, yeah. and there was also yeah. like an incantation show 
around the time which I just like chose not to go you know these random decisions you make or whatever but like uh, yeah it was like they were definitely like hosting the fucking <laughs> yeah know, all the all the kind of like epic legendary shit um, yeah, well, and yeah in like an yeah. intimate enough uh, arena funny thing with that Morbid Angel show is I didn't know about their like fans as in literal like the metal fans you know and I remember just thinking like you know I'd later learned that they all had those like three fans in front of them you know to get their hair out of the frets and stuff I mean it's practical and stuff but also I just remember being just like who are these like gods like <laughs> how is their hair going it's, it, it's partly for the image it's not just for the friend it's for <laughs> yeah, the image you know? it's like yeah, yeah it's a fan kid you know but whatever yeah, if, if only there was some way to tie back your hair to keep it out of the fretboard right, so we didn't right, need to lug yeah. these fans But then you just around. look like you have short hair. What the fuck's yeah. the point Yeah, well, <laughs> Dying Fetus was coming around the corner about that time to, to innovate the short hair in death metal, so it's all good. Nice. Um, but, but yeah, about Lev, um, you know, we, we had those couple experiences together, and then he, he kind of, like, uh, you know, mentored me a little bit. Like, uh, I remember he gave me this, like, clutch of CDs and a little, like, you know, in the hallway at high school or whatever, a little after that, and it had... Um, it was like Opeth, uh, Orchid, and Myron's Rehearse, and uh, At the Gates, and maybe Far Beyond Driven by Pantera, but I might have been. I was kind of like a no Pantera kid at that point, um, you know, for cultural reasons. You talk, uh, you talk, you're talking like, to me? Uh, yeah, he was definitely hip. He was, he was a little bit more onto that Euro stuff. Uh, Amon Marth, you know, that might have been in the first Amon Marth, which I'll totally stand behind. Um, stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, he just had a broader kind of you know um experience with metal and stuff like that uh and yeah we, eventually we were tripping on that first nile too which is still the best one in my opinion mm, but, uh, I'm, yeah I'm, so lev, def lev definitely gave me a leg up you know he had the kind of somewhat more established taste and i was like what's good Tell me what's, you know. <laughs> i've always been partial to black seeds of vengeance well if yeah i, gotta, I mean as soon as that came out, out we yeah. were also just like fuck yeah, yes but yeah. <laughs> i think that was is that oh two um, I, I feel or like maybe. it was still in the '90s, but gotcha. I could be I could gotcha. be wrong. Don't the, yeah, don't 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 eat me alive on the internet for for that one. Um, right, right. And, well, I, I got you said Pantera for cultural reasons. <laughs> I got I got to explore that because Pantera was huge out here in the more rural to suburban blue collar like blue collar areas. Um, yeah, no. Uh, I'll um, just well, I'll say this. I think Long Island we have a, a wealth of stereotypical Pantera fans, as well as people who just appreciate the music more than the lifestyle. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was just, you know, when you're a kid, you're like, or at least some people, you know, I think you're a lot stricter, you know, I don't know, with some attitudes and stuff like that. And there was just like, something about Pantera and the whole like, you know, the vague like Confederate flag, you know, <laughs> hell yeah, brother. Uh wasn't I think my I think my phrase at the time was Kentucky fried misogyny. Wow. Uh, <laughs> wow. That's but well, I, I mean there, I there was hated nothing them vague so about much it. that when they took Morbid Angel out on tour a little like maybe the next year or something like that. Yeah. Morbid Angel had a solo show like way the fuck out in Queens. But then they played, you know, like Gramercy or something opening yeah. for Pantera. And I like, I like trekked all the way out to like the solo Morbid Angel show. And it was funny, Steve Tucker was like talking shit because, of course, he just played this giant show in Manhattan. And then the Morbid Angel headlining show is like, you know, 70 <laughs> people are at the next day. And he's just like, I forget what he said, but he, but on stage, he said something like, like, oh, you know, I guess it's up close and personal with Morbid Angel tonight or something. Like a total <laughs> dislike. 
wow. actually kind of like a sass, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. You know, you get this, you get this kind of vibe, and you know, and obviously, like I was, like from New York City, you know, like you feel very like oppositional maybe to like that, that sort of thing. So that was just kind of the impression you get. I mean, the ironic thing is that later, when I gave them a chance musically, you know, Pantera is like a pretty fucking crack band like evaluated as a band i mean i'm i'm i reminded um uh brendan uh who i only know from the internet but who does the band convulsing way out in australia yeah uh, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So i think we all talked to him on the internet <laughs> um he said something in a in a in one of those conversations where he was like pantera as a concept is awful pantera as a band is unfuckwithable like just yeah just like as four yeah. guys in a room playing music like tight musically creative you know just like tons of stuff i mean that's the thing for that kind of image they don't have to be nearly as interesting in terms of the stuff they were doing with you know with rhythm and and that and then just their ability to play i mean i don't think those records are heavily edited you know they really were just that tight like everything is happening exactly together you know um yeah like i said it's interesting syncopation and 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 stuff like you know you can get academic with stuff going on musically so you know they're complicated like most humans you know look i don't wish anything i don't wish anything bad on anybody you know i, I you know there's that scene well what what movie was that um uh help me out man the uh the the the, the dewey where, where they make fun of the johnny cash movie and it's walk, walk, walk hard walk the hard. dewey yeah, cox yeah. story in the whole movie his dad's like the wrong kid died the wrong kid died <laughs> and i just rest in peace dimebag daryl i just god, oh, yeah, god bless that absolutely. man absolutely. I just want to move on from this topic because Pantera <laughs> is a hard topic for me um, gotcha. to discuss. Sorry, did I offend you? you? No, you didn't. You didn't offend me because it's like I am. I, I, I can listen to the music, but it's like, yeah, I, I, I get it, bro. I, I, I get it. I get it. I mean, I'm saying, like, I'm saying, I might listen. You know, I might listen to Far Beyond Driven tomorrow, or Phil, like, uh, you know, I mean, Colin's thing about a vulgar display of power is that it's like less uh it's like less complicated mashuga you know but that's still a fucking compliment you know what i mean i, I just like, <laughs> could, could we just keep like i just wish phil could just have like better handlers so oh, we, so well, we yeah. could just remember yeah. the music and just kind of just like i like i want to just listen to can i just listen to uh uh the great southern trend kill and just hear some sweet guitar licks and and call it a day. That's all I want to do. I don't want to have this right, big right. mental conflict about. I don't want to get emotional over Pantera on the Heavy Hole podcast I just with, with Nick McMaster of Crowless <laughs> after, after we already brought up Stretch and Papito. Look, yeah, we're going all over the place, Nick. Um, we got to cover some of your music, or the Crowless fans are going to be pissed at me. Uh, so we're going to leave. We're going to leave this Pantera debate on the fence. <laughs> Yes, right nice. now, um, but but we didn't really even get into uh, something I did want to cover, especially for people that aren't as familiar. Is you brought up your Ben? Let me see, let me try to say it. Uh, Estom- estomatos. Yeah, I mean, I say estomatus, but Esto- yeah, estomatus. One, yeah, yeah. And I don't think it's any right, wrong way. Just go on Nick's Metallum and look it up. Um, but you put out the album, The Beauty of Reason, in 2011. Uh, and uh, it's a, it's really a masterful kind of tech death album. I think people can hear hints of um, maybe some of what, what would come uh, with your work later on, because obviously you and Lev are on it. Uh, but just take us through a little bit. You go out to the University of Chicago. Uh, if I'm correct, the next year Lev joins you out there. Like, was that, first of all, was that kind of like a, an orchestrated process? You guys are friends, you're jamming together, let's go to college together? 
we didn't we didn't play music together until until we were there because again i left so lev had been playing drums forever and he was already like good at like you know 11th uh grade in high school or whatever um the funny thing is yeah yeah another another funny thing to a new york band um uh, another guy who went to our high school was ben greenberg um who does the band uniform now and like a lot of other stuff uh and i saw this rendition of um like tommy <laughs> like a like a like a high school musical version of, of tommy with um ben greenberg uh and lev you know in the in the gimmicky you know roles you know and shit. um and i remember that actually kind of like left an impression and uh uh alex cohen who's drummed for malignancy that you brought up or whatever i think yeah. um who's a, who's a bit younger apparently saw that same performance and 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 um you know, I, I don't want to put words in his mouth or whatever, but 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 I've heard that he said that that was actually like super, uh, you know, um, influential or whatever to him, like uh, playing music. So it was kind of funny, just all this stuff kind of like kicking around. But yeah, I didn't play music at all in high school. I mean, I literally just started playing bass at the very very end of um, of it in like the yeah the second semester of senior year. So basically. Um, we didn't really plan anything. We both just kind of wanted to go to Chicago and stuff like that. And he was like, oh, you're here. Like, okay, that's cool. Um, but I did just like, I, I practiced my ass off um, that summer. And then all of, you know, I wasn't really into school that much at that time. So I was just like, you know, kind of doing the, the, the bare minimum to get by, um, you know, that the first year of college and just like practicing like crazy and playing with whoever I would just in little casual, you know, formal situations playing like, emperor with the weird goth kid you know <laughs> um playing covers and stuff like that um just like guitar and bass you know not a full band or anything like that um but yeah then lev comes the next year and and it, i kind of already told this story because astomatis is the band with that guy from internison with with voice scout um yes. that was like the product of our kind of like you know um our death metal school basically and, and yeah even though the album didn't come out till um 11 or whatever like that uh that's that's like way later like all that all that stuff was done uh in the in the mid 2000s um and you know yet again it's just harder to record stuff you know to um to get stuff together it, it just became so much easier so like you know um eventually like towards the towards the end of college we we got live into a studio actually with, with uh Sanford Parker who would go on to do a lot of stuff um in the Chicago music or already was you know buried at sea and uh Minsk and just recording a, a ton of bands right um we recorded just his drums uh just Lev's drums and then I got like a primitive um like you know bare bones pro tools rig with like the m-box you know the cheapest thing you could get and I liked uh you know, sat with the guitarists and, and, and recorded them and then recorded my own parts and stuff like that. Um, and then, and then we had met Colin, um, you know, a little earlier, although obviously we were like separated geographically. So, uh, he had just started his, uh, you know, he was starting his recording journey and we kind of like came up with, I was like, Hey, you know, if I record this stuff by myself, can you like run it through an amp? You know, now this is like known as a pretty common process called reamping, but I kind of just was like, would this be possible? Could you even do this? And, you know, he was like, yeah. So, um, I'm telling the story a little bit out of order, but like, uh, yeah, that was basically what a snowmobile was. It was like no shows, you know, no actual like existence as a band, um, but just like practices, just like trying to do it, trying to like do death metal the way we heard it, you know, in the on, on the on the records or whatever, um, and then eventually trying to like you know capture it so it wouldn't just be like gone forever. Yeah, that that's what was interesting to me is it sounds like in addition to going to college in Chicago, 
you guys literally were doing some some version of death metal college on the side with with this kind of <laughs> like older more established death metal musician yeah yeah pretty much well and then and then lev went away for a year um you know did the whole study abroad thing and uh i just happen to know enough people this is like oh four or, or something like that i happen to know enough people um to start like another band so i got a guitar and the uh, I knew a bass player and another guitarist uh, and this drummer, but he was only like a hardcore drummer, so he had no you know double kick or whatever like that. So I was just like, great, let's do a, a black metal doom metal band, um, uh, and that band was called Him, like a you know Him in Church H Y M N, and uh, not like H I M, and not like a sweet <laughs> Ben Margera band. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but the funny thing about that 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 band to me is that there's their stuff from there because it was more black metal but i was already you know obviously we'd had the whole sort of death metal influence and i was into that there there is stuff in in those songs that actually kind of sounds like Kralis, um in my opinion and uh way 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 later on um uh Kralis would actually adapt some songs that uh him did record an, an album um but then i had like another set of material that got like kind of more advanced and lev came back and then lev was in both bands you know and it just got you know whatever it just got stupid especially because none of these bands were playing shows or anything they're all just sort of kind of like figments of our imagination although we yeah. practiced a lot of stuff you know just doing it like to do it or whatever but um but in 2019 Kralis adapted two of those songs uh wolf and church for an ep and we actually did record them and wolf was like heavily redone but church was like you know i had had it written out as like two guitars and bass in a um in like a music notation program which i was using at that time because i already knew colin and he was doing that stuff for behold the octopus so i was like oh that's that's cool like i like i want to try that um so yeah that you know because thankfully we already had the music just like you know, plotted it, actually transcribed, you know, on in real styles and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, we just we just played that song. You know, we just pretty much played the parts. Um, so that was pretty that, that was pretty satisfying or, or just like, you know, interesting, like to see that there was this thing, because obviously it, it was early Kralis. I'm not writing any of that stuff, you know, really. I mean, eventually I'm writing my bass lines, but not. But but, you know, I, I don't play on the first album. They played the bass. They, they took turns playing the bass uh, by the time. I've played every show with them, but uh, for, this, for the second album, um, they already had a lot of those, that stuff written, and they already had a lot of bass parts written. So, like the the, the song "Dimensional Bleed Through," it's like it's about 11, 12 minutes, and it's kind of like four minutes of the bass I wrote, four minutes of that Mick wrote, four minutes of Colin wrote, you know, all this stuff. So I wasn't writing stuff for the band for like a really long time, but it's still kind of cool that the stuff they wrote in at that time definitely has similarities to this shit i was writing in my own you know black metal band like totally just not you know not even having met those guys yet so great great minds think alike i guess so. um and well that's the you you kind of um you mentioned uh how you come into Crowless and you're not on the first album uh prior to that you mentioned lev studying abroad i want to fill in the gap there because i believe the gap there is you actually studying abroad in norway right and living in norway for a period of time it's it's a little uh it's actually poland which is your 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 people right yeah well, um, i half uh yeah i'm half half polish actually right yeah um the uh the so yes i did go to norway for like a summer um like uh like i got like a scholarship to like a language program between when i when i was like the summer when i was 18 the summer of um oh two uh and yeah, it's this funny story. I uh, 
Well, well, yeah, I mean, that was actually on the subject of black metal. That was kind of that was an interesting thing, because I went there, of course, thinking I had like read Lords of Chaos and stuff like that. And I and I went there thinking I would find like the actual black metal scene, like more or less as related in that book. But of course, that stuff was, you know, early 90s. So that was already 10 years later and probably only ever like 30 people anyway. Yeah. So like, (laughs) you know, my joke is always that a a metal scene, no matter how, you know, world famous it gets or whatever, probably breaks down to about three drummers and their friends. So (laughs) it's it's so true. Dude, look at suffocation and, um, and, uh, pyrexia, like this, this long Island death metal scene. I I mean, there's so much intermingling, especially if you go back to the beginning, but but, uh, let me not go on a tangent, man. Go ahead. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, but the, the cool thing about Norway was that, yeah, so I'm, I'm looking for a scene. I was, you know, very, at the time, disappointed. I mean, I have no right to be disappointed. But but from that perspective, very disappointed with the Norwegians I met because the top song in Norway that summer was this song called I Got Erection by the band Turbo Negro. I don't know if you know this. Oh, it's yeah. just like, it's just like band, straight yeah. rock, like cop yeah. rock, you know? Yeah. Um, and literally the chorus is, whoa, oh, I got erection. And I'm looking like, where's the satiricon, you know? <laughs> like, what's going on? <laughs> um, but the cool thing was that I met a ton of other people there who were also coming in, you know, from Italy, from Germany, from Poland, from Britain, from Canada, elsewhere in the States and stuff like that. They were all there, like, looking for this thing. You know, they'd found some sort of excuse, you know, language, school, whatever like that. But the real reason they were there was, you know, what's going on with this, you know, Norwegian black metal scene that's got all this crazy stories and this awesome music and stuff like that. Um, and so I, I, like, made friends with, you know, the, uh, uh, particularly Polish and Italian people that had, like, bands back there. And I remember thinking, like, these people are doing it more, you know, faithfully at this point um, and more devotedly than, like, the people you know, then the, 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 the country that like invented this style, which I thought was fascinating. Um, and I also, so like, I fell in love with this girl. I mean, like I said, I was 18, you know, uh, who was in the program was in Poland, whose brother played in like a Dimu Borger kind of band, um, back, back in Poland. And that started this whole like saga. And yeah, eventually I ended up taking a year off of college, like a, like a full year later and actually moving to Poland, um, and, and studying there for a bit. Um, and, uh, that was pretty sick from the i didn't really interact with black metal at all at that point but that was like a real golden age of polish death metal mm. um in terms of like yattering and skeptic yattering. and uh, decapitated that's just like that whole like polish yeah. salt you know um this band azarath i mean the funny thing is none of these bands really continued and the, the one band that remains of this scene is behemoth which in my opinion is like the most boring one even if they have this kind of iconic quality that i can like see why they got famous but there was just so, like so many more interesting kind of like you know Pol- polish people at the time really seemed to love uh jazz like i remember people were playing me like the first time i ever heard pat Metheny was in poland you know it was weird like they'd been like sneaking these tapes you know a few you know obviously that's you know fusion kind of stuff but all that um you know under the iron curtain and i felt like that really like uh inflected their their taste of of of, of death metal well, um, um correct me if i'm wrong but i think like poland had this like um they were one of these countries that had the rivalry between death metal and black metal that lasted longer than any other location so like behemoth was like a hot topic because they were they, were, they were both yeah they were both and right, no one right. else would do that like it was you're this or you're that and you know, huh that's well so the yeah i mean the funny thing was just I, I, you know, I was there. I was just like, you know, yeah, let's, you know, let's hang. Like, what's, what's around? Let's go to shows. And I eventually uh, made friends 
with someone who was like kind of a show booker and just like knew the stuff and it was like really cheap to travel you know on train just with within poland it would be just like five bucks to go to like Wuj or you know warsaw or whatever um and so i'd go around and, and you know see these shows and stuff uh of of you know the, the polish death metal bands at that time but i but i literally never saw a black metal show i don't know if they were just only doing records or something like that and i mean you know at this point i may be kind of glad i didn't because there might have been some elements with the polish black metal that yeah pretty extreme um they want but, to be uh, uh dark throne you know yeah, just this, put out this, albums. this yeah. is probably a good reason you didn't know about them man it's yeah but, yeah maybe that's maybe that's true <laughs> but i do remember like being uh like like you know just like like hanging out with you know other 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 kids at that event and like a uh, like a 5 a.m uh you know sing along to uh, anthems of the welkin at dusk you know and they just called every word you know so the black metal was definitely like in the you know it was in the air but uh but yeah it was basically that was kind of another like death metal school but like you know polish edition which is fun <laughs> wow i mean it it, it might be it might actually be within the bounds of, of reality to say that most people at those black metal shows you didn't know about are in jail or dead now. <laughs> so, I mean, let's you know, but but listen, um, yeah. that that no, that's just interesting to me. And uh, you know, I had heard you talk on the five hundred four nine podcast about going to Norway and kind of kind of being like feeling like you were there after the fact uh, of this Norwegian cult scene and that, and, 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 you know, if you really look back at it, it wasn't this huge widespread national thing until it made the news. Um, right. you know, at that point, all, all, all interesting points to make, but something I got, I got to kind of wrap it around now to something more current, uh, and something that I do got to squeeze in here. Cause we've been talking to you for a long time and we got to get into it. Um, the most recent, uh, Kralis album from just this year, it, it's demonic wealth, right? Yep. On P2 Records. Shout out to P2 yep. Records. Good friends of the show. Um, it's... <sighs> Kralis has a lot of material. You guys are involved in a lot of projects. And I'll just call it the Menegroth studio scene. Um, <laughs> but this demonic wealth really put it over the top for me personally as a listener. Uh, and as someone who's followed um, as much as of your, your guys' work collectively as I can... And the reason I want to tie it in at this point of the conversation, after re-listening to it today in preparation for the interview, I got to say, it felt like maybe there were some really, uh, I'll say like peripheral elements from Norwegian and European black metal, but not so much that like that you would expect. It sounded like maybe there were elements of dungeon synth, elements of the electronic music that many of those artists would, would experiment with later on after their more remembered works. Um, and elements of that um, like like ambient ambient quality that you got from maybe early Burzum and stuff like that is sure, all of that sure. fair to say? Uh, yeah, yeah, I would say that's fair to say. I mean, I, I I just elaborate that that album is really Colin's party. Okay. Um, so, and that's okay. So the way that album was made, uh, it, it, maybe I should just like so. Okay, when the pandemic hit. Kralis was working on this kind of like longer, like our albums had been a, a little bit short at that point. They'd been like, you know, like we had like prelapsarian and stuff like that, where it's just, it's just four songs, even though some of them are long or whatever. And we were like, okay, we had a couple records like that that were all pretty short or at least pretty sort of like limited in scope. And they were like, no, we're going to do like a big one, you know, mm -hmm. but our songs are pretty hard to, you know, 
pulled in your head at, at one point. So our, our, our idea was, well, we'll do three separate recording sessions and each one of those will only do like three to five songs. Um, you know, depending on the length or whatever. Um, and when the pandemic hit, we had only done two out of those three planned recording sessions. Um, and that's the record, uh, Mask of Texas. Um, it's funny because I've actually seen some reviews that have said, oh, this record seems like, you know, disjointed and styled. And so it seems like it jumps around in the sound and stuff like that. And I'm reading that and I'm kind of like, well, yeah, that was the, the third recording session that we that we didn't get to do. It's like those songs were kind of the glue, you know, as it as it was the songs that we the two sessions that we had were kind of like the extreme um, ends of the sound. So, you know, eventually, obviously, that album came out and eventually we were like, OK, well, we'll just have the two recording sessions together are over 40 minutes. It's totally a record like we'll, we'll just have that. But for a while, we were pretty frustrated. I mean, the pandemic was certainly nothing if not frustrating in the early months because it's like, OK, what my life just like stops now. Um, and that was our experience of it. So, you know, we we like hard right turned. Um, we we like made our like tour van joke band, you know, just like fucking idiotic, like weed death metal, you know, with drum machine and stuff like that. Um, that put that experience kind of put me on to doing um, the band with Paulo Edenic Pass because I, yes. I just like really enjoyed doing drummer scenes and, and, and you know, drum machine death metal stuff. And I, I kind of just wanted to do something that was actually like, you know, more serious. Um, but but in terms of Kralis, where, where that took us, because obviously drum machine isn't really an option because then we just like cut out Lev. Um, we had him. So the, the, what we settled on was uh, that he would record himself uh, alone in, the, in his uh, in the practices that, I, you know, I share with him in, in New York. But uh, but just him by himself alone on his iPhone. Um, cause like if you do it, if you do it, if you do record a band with iPhone or even just two people, it basically sounds like shit. But if you just record drums, you know, it's kind of like good enough, especially if, you know, an engineer can finesse it later. So like obviously it's just one track, but it's like, you know, if you've got that track and then you overdub the other instruments later, like you're, you're kind of cooking, you know, you, you it, it can work. Um, and so. Lev just recorded a whole bunch of stuff of him kind of, you know, playing beats, but also sort of like faking as if, you know, a lot of times in our songs, he's like playing a, a rapid beat, you know, blast beat or a double kick beat or something like that. But then he's kind of comping the riff, you know, in a cymbal pattern or something like that. So he would kind of just do that just like a, to a, a riff that didn't exist, you know, like like a fake thing or whatever, and just gave a bunch of stuff like that. And, and Colin took it and he just went nuts. Like in like maybe two weeks, he had he had not only edited those like just random sort of beat sessions into uh, you know de definite song structures but on half of them he had played keyboard because he'd been doing a lot of that on his own and on half of them he played uh he played guitar um and then just sort of invited us to you know and so i i played bass um which is funny there's half the songs there is no guitar guitar because mick just decided he only wanted to sing on it which i thought was awesome also um so so a lot of the songs there's there is no guitar there's only bass guitar synth drums and vocals on, on half the songs. But anyway, I'm sorry, to, to circle back to the question that, 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 that you were saying in terms of um, Norwegian black metal influence, yeah, like Colin said at the time, like, this is this is me going way more black metal than I have in like years, than like, you know, the the way, uh, the, the earliest records. And, and in a sense, even with a more like pure mentality, because those early records, there's a lot of influences intertwined with the, with the black metal movement. So this is perhaps like, some of the purest, you know, stated uh, uh, black metal stuff from Colin. 
But I believe all of that came from this process of the drums, which we were sort of forced into by the world situation. Mm. But because the drums coming, the, the iPhone drums were raw. They sounded like lo-fi black metal drums. So I think like that was what he was motivated to write just listening to them because that was, you know, it didn't sound like a Derek Roddy drum performance, even though Lev's capable of that, but it's just, that's not the recording, you know? It sounded like a one mic kind of thing. It had that ambiance, and I think Colin's mind just with synth and everything just built on that. That's really interesting because the the original recordings that used those kind of lo-fi sounds, a lot of that, some of it was intentional at a certain point, but a lot of it was because of the limited resources they had to actually record and here you guys are kind of now um your 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 resources limited in a different way by the pandemic um and you you kind of come up with something out of that out of that limitation too and, and make use of that that's that's an interesting parallel too thank you thank you yeah i mean just to, i no, i don't want to go too far with this but in general i think limitations are really really good for creativity yes sir. for example why is it that most people think the first three star wars movies are better than the prequels, you know? Even though he had way more resources for the prequels. Like, it's like, no, you were constrained. You're like, how are we gonna do this? And you're affected, you can't do everything you want. And then there's like marks, there's like really definite decisions that are sort of made for you. But it just seems like that can go to almost like more evocative places, you know? So yeah, yeah I mean, it sucked at the time to have our hands forced, but it's also just like, yeah, I'm down with it. because because. Not only do I think, do, do I, I really just enjoy that record as a listener, but, um, which I feel like I can say because I was kind of, you know, it wasn't really my show, but, uh, but I also, I'm, I'm stoked that it's a record of, you know, what was happening in the world, in a sense. It's like, oh, well, why does this album sound like this? Oh, well, let me tell you a story, kitty, you know, like, <laughs> take, take yeah. the grandkid on your knee. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, you know, you, you talk about, you say it wasn't really your show. Let's talk about something that I think maybe is a little bit more more your show, and you touched on. Um, I believe you were referencing Slam 420 when you talked about your um, a little bit less serious-minded Slam project. Where I got I got to say the music I did enjoy. I found it to be very competitive, uh, you know, like rhythmic uh, groove-oriented death metal. Um, you know, I've said I've said on the show that you know maybe my personal taste I probably would have appreciated. Uh, something a little bit more um, uh, dark or with a little bit more depth to the title. But, the, you know, I, I rail against the party bands and the humor bands constantly. Right, right, right. You know, well, no. yeah, I mean, Slam 420, that was our, I think a lot of bands have this. When you're on tour, you're in the van and you just sort of like game out like a like a band that you're never going to do. But it's just <laughs> like, oh, well, the sound would be like this. Like, like how yeah. ridiculous do yeah. we take it? And you're just trying to make each other laugh. Like, that's where that that's where that came from, you know? And it's like, oh, Lev doesn't play drums, it's drum machine, but Lev's the hype man, you know, and just smokes weed on stage. And like, <laughs> that's, that's great. I, you know, <laughs> I gotta eat my words a little bit now because I said something in an episode where I was talking about the party bands and the humorous bands and how like these, a lot of these, these bands remind me of ideas that people get when they're sitting around drunk and stoned and laughing, but no one actually does it. But people do actually do it. I've done bands in the past when I was, before I was an old bitter guy when I was young, in my 20s we did little fun projects on the side and maybe they a lot of them are just on a tape somewhere because we didn't put them on Bandcamp at the time um right so I, yeah so i get no, it so i get it you know no, i no I, I don't really like i i was like mildly offended by like you know pizza thrash and like that like like yeah. you know there's there's definitely like humor yeah. and metal can be like a fine 
line to tread. So I can see coming at it like knowing nothing of the Genesis being like, okay, whatever, you know, what is this? Um, but yeah, for us, it was just like, okay, well, like, how can we do a band? Like, obviously we can't, we were two out of three recording sessions and now we're totally fucked. That's not going to happen. Even though obviously a you know, solution was found, but like, okay, can we do this? And it was like all three of us like programming drums. So we were just like, okay, well, what if we just programmed drums and played our instrument, you know, played this dumb shit. And then we were just amazed. I mean, that record is pretty long and it's kind of involved, even though it's stupid as hell. That was, do that was done in three weeks, start to finish, just totally done, you know? Yeah. And for me, it was like, oh, I realized, I was like, wait, finding funny samples about weed and like writing dumb slam riffs because you know everybody can write like one slam riff but when you try to write like 10 you kind of <laughs> run out of ideas you know i think we rip off um suffocation the suffocate you know the main leisure and veracity riff like twice on the record i ripped off the, the other one where they're like digging the grave you know mm -hmm. um the record that's name of the song escapes me but it was like we did we you know called in all the favors for slam or whatever and i was just like wait I was like, if I don't have to make this like funny or stupid or groovy and just focus on like the other parts where it was like fast, twisty death metal drum machine, I was like, wait, I think I'd, I'd actually really like to do that, you know, and then it could be something I'd actually like show my mom or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I mean, let's talk then because is it fair to say that Edenic Past, I think you referenced it, you implied it, is that kind of an evolution of those ideas you explored with Slam 420? Yeah, exactly. So, so, so one four, one third of the song, four of the songs on the Slamport Training record, are are me programming drums and like basically writing the song at you know on on bass, and sending out like a drums bass samples version, but also you know just like, but you're basically writing the song because I'm like guys, you don't need to write like a whole other guitar part, like just play what the bass plays, you know. Um, and uh, yeah, I just I I just like really fell in love with that. I've, I've always um, programmed drums, but I would normally do it to uh, just give to the drummer as like ideas. And that is actually just like kind of like a dumb way to go about it because, you know, there's the cool thing about an awesome drummer is that you can just like say a couple sentences to them and then you just get all this music. You know, you just get all this detail and, you know, their little personality, their little things that they do when you're just like, okay, how about a, this beat? And it, this is the riff and it's this many bars long or whatever. Um, you don't have that leeway in drum machine. You have to micromanage every teeny little thing. So I would do that and then I'd get attached to like, you know, minutia. But then I was like, it would be unfair to, for me to ask a drummer to then memorize that completely. Of course, they're still just kind of going to do what they're going to do in the first place. So it was kind of, you know, but 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 that skill was kind of there. And I knew I liked it just because I, I really like like tedious shit that most yeah, people yeah. seem to find really boring. Yeah, you can go so really, like the, the really point hard, and click yeah. drum programming, you know, really, really floated my boat. So, uh, so yeah, like um, with Edenic Pass, it was just like, okay, uh, yeah, now I can just like, you know, sort of like free associate on these things. I mean, and that's the kind of thing. To me, Identicast is not slam, like at all. It is brutal death metal. And there aren't, like, there might be parts that are groovy, but there's no parts where it's like, that's what I'm trying to like, you know, oh, this is the big dumb groove part, you know, or not even dumb, but like, the, this is like the sort of overt thing. So that was sort of like the rule, you know? And obviously like, we've just been getting into more and more, um, the sort of brutal death metal scene. I mean, can reference the Heavy Hole podcast, uh, you know, King with Paulo, all that stuff. Uh, 
New Standard Elite label, um, you know, Ecomosis, uh, all those bands from Thailand and, and that kind of stuff. Like, that's just been... I wasn't always into shit. Like, I came to, like, Discord and Brodekin, like, a little later. Because, obviously, for a while, it's, like, Morbid Angel's enough, you know? But I don't know. Then it's, like, you're, like, a junkie or something. It's, like, I need more to get a fix. You know, I need the shit yeah, that's just, like, yeah. more <laughs> totally out there. So it was awesome to just kind of, like, channel that, you know? Yeah. Um, I've never really felt like that. I've never had an opportunity to do a band that was, like, as heavy as the heaviest stuff I, I listened to. So to just really, like dig into that whole brutal death metal sound um and again and just do it in a way where you know there isn't a lot of the trap you know there's no slam riffs there's no like violence against women imagery there's no like like just random gore for no reason i mean i like gore we could have a whole conversation about that i love horror movies by the way thank you for recommending um demons because oh, so i watched good. the shit out of demons one and two yeah after hearing about it on the podcast <laughs> yeah so good um, soundtracks of both yeah so good. yeah yeah both. okay but okay. um i could go but on yeah I'm sorry. So, All right. so yeah oh uh, you know to do that spin that was just you know and again we're still talking about the midst of the pandemic so like to do that and just be like okay here's the bass and drums then i'm gonna email it to colin and he's gonna do the guitar and then we're gonna email it to paulo and he'll do the vocals and done like that was just rad like that was like the best my best you know experience of the last year or whatever yeah and well you mentioned paulo let me stop you there with because like this is the thing man and we you know i i i've I, i'll say that i kind of mis, misnamed it in the past i called it the colin marston scene several times on the show because it does revolve around his studio but you guys have your own scene out there um between uh you know you and lev um you know uh you want to talk about um uh Oh, like Anacon, Anacon, like there's a there's like the Lev universe, you know, An Anacon and Woe at this point. And, there's so uh, many bands and, and projects. Well, and 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 Paulo, it seems it seems like Lev is kind of like your house drummer, and now Paulo has become your house vocalist for all this um, variety of projects. It almost seems like a old, like a, like a, a New York City kind of artistic black metal take on the like when you what you hear about these old Motown musicians or something. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I'd, not to be pedantic, I'd say more death metal than black metal at this point, if we're talking the, the, the Paula stuff. But, uh, yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, and, and that was awesome, because to, to take it back, um, there was that band Gassamane. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That was me, Ian, Ian Jackson from Castabet, who is, you know, one of the best drum, you know, kind of the best kept secret, I think, you know, like, because he's so, he's so awesome. Um, shout out to Ian, of course, you know, and, and, and so that was me. And Paulo on guitar and vocals, and and Ian on drums, um, and eventually Sam from 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 the Brain was in there too. Um, but it was just one of those things we couldn't quite make the. It just didn't gel. Like we had we they had those two songs that were super awesome, and then um, we just couldn't kind of find the groove of like you know, of like writing again. So to be able to come back with uh, with the Denic Pass and just focus on Paulo's vocal style, which has become this whole other thing. Like I remember thinking, you know, the thing with, with that record, like I was like. Um, you know, you sign up for like, uh, you know, just like, uh, what's his name? AJ from Discord, who was in uh, Defeated Sanity. You, know, you sign up for like those kinds of vocals, but really you get like that, like Attila Kazar void of voices, you know, just like layer, just like everything, you know, pig sounds, just like all this fucking shit. So, you know, Paul is taking it to a whole nother level and to just like, you know, have really defined roles in that. It's been super satisfying. Um, but Paul is also doing that for like, 
I mean, you could talk about the, the Apollo universe. I mean, yeah. he just had a new record. I forget um, the one with the like Und- guy with his leg cut off on the front, you know. But yeah, like, the undeciphered record is phenomenal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then uh, the dangerous board. thing, yeah, like, yeah. He, you know, he's been doing vocals. Yeah, you know, but that's fucking that's cool. I mean, yeah, we asked him to do vocals for Dangerous Thing, and uh, when he sent us the stems of what he recorded, me and Justin were like what is going on uh we did not imagine this at all and it was better than anything we could imagine so man he's just he's just so good yeah well that that's what i mean is like and you know not just paulo you know i mentioned lev and colin and uh and mick and you guys have this kind of extended scene around yourself you're in so many bands with lev like we talked about you've known him forever is it intentional that you guys kind of stick to your own crew of of people um, over the years like that, I mean, like, 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 has it been a kind of an outside reason that you can't find other people to hang with? Or is it intentional that you stick with the same crew of guys? Or is it maybe even that if you keep making new projects with new names and new concepts that it keeps it fresh and inspiring? Like, could you speak to that? Yeah, I guess it, um, you know, I'd certainly be, be open to playing with other people. And I, and I, and I think I have, I'm not sure, you know, why nothing has really taken taken off to the level of like a band doing records and, and a lot of shows and stuff but uh i mean you, you reminded me of just one thing i think of that's like you know um the the hard part is kind of like spinning yourself up as a musician right once once you've done that once you can actually you know play and, and record and stuff like that uh, and contribute to the songs a little bit or, or whatever you're doing it's not that hard to then just like do that in a bunch of different band contexts so i think you're just kind of seeing that effect play out um you know w- like starting one band is the really is the really hard part but yeah once you've got the, once you've added, you're you know more practically once you're paying for practice space and instrument upkeep and that kind of stuff you know um but yeah i mean what, what you said is also probably accurate that it's just like you know um I mean, in my opinion, all of these people we're talking about are really, really fucking good at what they do. So why exactly would I take a chance on a Craigslist rando who's probably not as good? Mm-hmm. Although maybe he is, and maybe that would work she. Uh, maybe that would be awesome. But um, yeah, it, you know, I also at this point, it's like, you know, be, like, for example, because of the Slam 420 experience um, and the fact that there were, like, they, Mick and Colin, like, we just didn't give a fuck enough about it. Like, Mick and Colin don't both play guitar in those songs. They were just one or the other, you know? So so on the song that I did bass and drums to, it was only Colin. So it was like, that was already the proof of concept. So when I started Eugenic Past, it was like, I only had Colin in mind. I was like, this is a guy I know I can give, you know, I was like, the rules of the band are like, you never have to write like a creative part. You can just write, <laughs> you can just play with the basses playing, you know, don't, don't think too hard about it. Just like record it fast. You know? yeah. But like, that's a, that's, that could be a pretty dangerous instruction to give somebody who isn't, you know, Colin. Like it was like, I knew, I knew that would be enough because we just had that kind of history. And the same thing with Paulo to just be like, do vocals. I, I didn't give Paulo a single note. Like, as in, like, feedback note. Like, I didn't, like, a credit, like, or comment, or can you change this? Like, the whole record was just was just his mind, you know, down. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, yep, okay, let's roll with it, you know. So, yeah, again, it's like, you know, you kind of know these people are known quantities, and then even when you have the idea for the band, you're like, oh, and I know that they could supply this part that I need that I can't do myself, so. Well, when you've worked with people in the past, you know what to expect and whether or not you can rely on them. You know that's that speaks to why I, uh, I'm not in any other bands with the drummer of Buckshot Facelift. 
Um, but uh, but that's a whole other story. Uh, but 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 moving on. Um, you know, we've been we've had you for a while here. Uh, I do I don't want to let the interview conclude without shortly uh, talking about. I'm gonna mispronounce this. Um, just released self-titled EP on Everlasting Spew Records. Uh, you play oh, yeah. bass on Taurus Eburning. That maybe you could pronounce it. I don't know. Uh, Taurus Eburnia. Taurus Eburnia. Say. Okay. Because it's an NEA at the end. And yeah. that's actually a collaboration with an Italian musician, uh, G- Gabriel Grimaldia, who people might recognize from Cosmic Putrefaction. Yep. Yeah. He also has this, another earlier solar band called The Clearing Path. Okay. Uh, they made a bunch of records, but uh, but yeah, Cosmic Infection seems to have got the, and that and that had Brendan from Convulsive that I mentioned uh, earlier, oh, okay. actually, right. uh, on the first record, um, more internet collaboration, but uh, yeah, I mean, do you want to know the deal with that? Or? Well, well, yeah, I mean, I because I did actually, you know, I hadn't heard it up until um, the last two days when I was doing the research for this interview. Uh, Edenic Past, by the way, just highly recommend because I, you know, I, I did cast a little shade on Slam 420. I apologize, but um, <laughs> it's it, all good. The, the conclusion <laughs> of that, the reason I set it up like that, was because I love Edenic Past. It really stirred something in me, and then I just, I just recently, like I said, checked out that Tercey Bernie, and that too, um, really interesting. I, is that more like Gabriel's thing and he needed a bass player or could you just go into how, yeah. how that's set up and did you guys have a previous working relationship or yeah so the deal with that is um, I've been I've just been talking online like through it was like Facebook you know originally to Gabriel for about 10 years or whatever because he was super into cast event and I'm pretty sure we met him because he did a uh, he did a, like a his own cover adaptation of the like just like guitar interlude song from mountains of ash from the first cast of record um and so you know gradually we you know i i started talking uh, obviously andrew was talking to him first and then and then i started talking to him um and just kind of kept up and uh yeah he's like in school to be like a john williams you know like a like a full-on you know composer kind of um like that you know produce who, who, who can also record it and, and all that kind of stuff but um he's just been doing solo records forever um where he just does everything he programs the drums he does the vocals he plays the guitar he plays the bass he writes the songs he does the keyboards you know he just that's just his thing um and he had a post-rock band uh called summit uh, the same thing band it was just him uh but he, he asked me at some point in the past years to do um guest vocals uh so I, so I, you know, I did that and that wasn't, you know, that wasn't, that was just kind of one and done thing, but it, but at least maybe kind of opened the door. So yeah, Tourist Ibernia, it's totally his show. It's basically just this, you know, also yet another of his like one, 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 one person bands, except that I play the bass, you know? Um, and, and I, and we work together a little bit on the song structures and stuff like that, um, going back and forth, but I mean, it's really, you know, it, it's pretty much his vision. And I think when you hear the melodic sensibility and the overdubs and stuff like that like you know you can you can hear all that kind of stuff but um but yeah we got to kind of you know i i really love his um harmonic sense the way he writes chord progressions i think that's kind of like his you know his superpower and so uh as a bass player it's really satisfying to be able to kind of like um pick out the melodies that are hidden in really interesting and complex chord progressions and kind of like you can almost kind of like point to the listener like this is the cool part like no this is the cool part you know so to me that was like an opportunity to do that playing the bass on those songs um but you know situationally it's just yet another quarantine band because you know we were yeah. just both like okay it was like march 2020 and we're like 
what are we going to do now? And he was like, can I send you some songs to play bass on? I was like, fuck yes. Like, I'm just at home, you know? So lucky enough to be at home, I should say. Yeah. Well, well, Nick, and you got so much music, man. Um, obviously, I can't uh, I can't close up shop without talking about Gary, uh, Gary on, right? I forgot all about Garyon. Of course. <laughs> I, I mean, this is the thing. I could sit here all night with your list of bands, dude. But Garyon, uh, we got to recommend, too. All this is available on Bandcamp, by the way, for people who want to check out your wealth of, of uh, projects and recordings over the years. Garyon is just you and Lev. Just bass, vocals, drums. Occasionally, you, you add other instrumentation, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of the rule that we don't add other instrumentation, but I've sort of, like, developed a, a, a workaround to that, which is... Um, at this point, the, the, the mute, the, I mean, well, first of all, we've always had like, it was part of the band's concept, but yeah, it would be bass and drums the whole time. And I would just play through a million amps. The, the influence on the, um, on the sort of production side, obviously not the actual music is actually the band lightning bolt. Wow. Um, you know, which isn't even a metal band, yeah, but interesting band though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're a bass and drums duo that I just remember, um, you know, Kralis played with them really early on and I, I would see them and stuff. And I was just like, Nobody hears that band and goes, oh, bass and drums duo, you know, you're just like, holy, you know, crazy like wall of sound, yeah, you know, coming at, wow, you know, yeah. so through just like playing through a bunch of amps and all that kind of stuff, I basically wanted to do something like that, um, but just with like my style of riffing and, and left drumming. Um, and the real reason we started that band was um, in large part because Kralis wasn't just because of uh, everyone's different bands and Colin's recording schedule and stuff like that. Kralis wasn't quite able to play as many shows as we, Lev and I, that is, wanted to um, at that point in time. So it was just like, okay, let's just make something and then, you know, we can just like play as much as we want. Uh, which is funny because now, you know, neither band, <laughs> it's not like Gary on plays that live that often these days. Um, so that's kind of like, you know, that that side of it's been lost. But that But that was really sort of the point. So yeah, it was like, bass and drums with like um electronic music interludes which in the beginning were all guests um which is something i'm, I'm like really proud of because i even had um kelly moran who be who was a, a good friend of mine who um is a good friend of mine say, who became you know like a really she's now signed to warp records like a really you know respected um electronic slash classical artist i guess you could say uh in her own right um but kind of you know in her in her like earlier days before before she uh you know was was big time you know she she has a carry on interlude which i thought was awesome um so yeah just to vary the sonic palette and because i like electronic music was always trying to have that like the idea was like between each song you get 60 seconds of something like totally different you know ambient music and then it's back to like bass and drums assault but uh these days for me to have a little bit more to make the music you know have have a little more depth for me what i do is i actually um I'll play the bass line through these crazy like reverb patches or just, you know, just like a ton of like pedals or plugins or something like that. And basically get to this point where it just sounds like a, a new age song. You know, I found these really intense reverbs and in logic that just like, you know, if you take all the, you know, make it maximum hundred percent wet, no dry. So you're eliminating the original sound just sounds like, yeah, like I said, like a total like new age song, but it would be synced to my riffs to the song because it really is the song actually. Um, just totally transformed. So that's that's sort of the Gary on lineup now, which if you listen to it, you'd probably be like, oh, this is bass drums and synth. But it's like, that rule is important to me to have it really just be bass and drums. So it's kind of like keeping that to it. That's interesting to hear now because I was just listening to uh, some stuff today. And, um, and, and Do you mind if I ask which one? Because yeah, I didn't start doing that until a certain point in time. 
Um, or, let me say, I was kind of floating, but I, be I was kind of floating all over Bandcamp. Actually, your most recent one is Minoan Owl Goddess. Uh, that one I definitely yeah. listened to. Yeah. And then you had um, that was with uh, Gary on where you had the Asto Ma- uh, Mattis uh, EP that was like unfinished Asto Mattis work, right? Right. Right. But yeah, yeah that is, that is true with those risks. But that that's where I started doing that. Those last two are the ones where I'm doing the thing I described with those sort of like okay. bass turned into like reverb washes. Um, so it's funny because calling it a snowman has probably like brought more attention to that aspect of it. But it was more significant that like the band, the sound of the band had totally changed. But uh, yeah, I really want to do more of that in the future. But you know, obviously it's a lot of shit. So interesting. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, interesting um, concept, but, but, talk about the future I'd, I'd like to keep you know keep on like another hour because you got so many projects and so much stuff that we didn't even touch on nick but um we, we do have to respect your time and respect our format you talk about the future before we ask you to recommend some stuff for us just quickly um what if anything is going on for you guys i don't know if you want to talk about any of your projects upcoming releases i don't know if you've booked shows people are starting to open up again but just take this opportunity to plug anything that's coming up yeah um Thank you for the opportunity. I don't actually have. Oh, I played bass um, in this. You know, in, during the, the the pandemic period, I did do guest bass for the band Nightmare, which wow. um, is oh, another just like hearing. I think it's this guy Simon. You might know him on Instagram as Simon Sludge. Kind of like reviews yeah. fancy guitars. Yeah. yeah, he's got that um, sick guitar. I haven't been on Instagram in like two years, but I remember loving his account because he had all those <laughs> like these sick guitars with awesome finishes like uh when kiesel Kiesel was first like popping off um yeah yeah yeah. i guess that was like four years ago yeah just looking at the stuff he was getting i was like damn this guy's got awesome taste no and he's got a good vibe about it it's like not like annoying or or douchey somehow which i don't think i if i had a page like that it probably would be (laughs) is uh is john john colette still the vocalist of nightmare yes Yes. Yeah, yes, he's yes. a yeah, nice guy, man. I, I I've known John through the local scene here in New York, man. That's that's cool, man. Yeah, good guy. Shout out to John if he uh, if he's listening at all. Yeah, yeah. So it's him. Um, this guy Keith Marrow. I, I hope I'm not mispronouncing his last name from from Portland. Mm-hmm. Um, is is uh is on guitar and is actually handling like the the mix and stuff. He's a YouTube um, dude, right? It's like yeah, he, yeah, okay, yeah, exactly. That's yeah, the guy. conquering dystopia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, See, we know we're on. We're, we know every. We're, we're on. We're on the scene, man. We know Keith. Right, we'll right. get him on the show. You can't, you can't <laughs> get past Keith. Us. Simon, yeah. Um, so yeah, so they just asked me to do a bass for like a three-song uh, EP for them that uh, I just heard like a mixed draft, and apparently is going to get mastered by Eric Rutan. So hmm. that'll be fun. Cool. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, that should be out. Um, I think it's called Trilogy by Nightmare, but it's you know just whatever the new Nightmare is. Um, so yeah, that's the only thing I got that you know isn't uh, that's like recorded but not out. Um, shows, it's real interesting. Uh, Kralis actually just got a bunch of offers in like the last week. You know, just as uh, I mean, you'll probably be listening to this a couple weeks later or whatever. But um, you know, right now I'd say there's been like nightlife again in New York City for like three weeks now, and so people are starting to ask us about stuff for the fall or whatever, um, uh, which we probably won't do because in our usual way we want to like focus on you know new music but um yeah we've been actually like switching up the expectation i've been um recording guitar over drum demos and uh mix and playing bass and colin's on keyboards full time so <laughs> I, 
I'm, I don't know I'm where that's going to go, but I actually recorded like two hours. Uh, like, because Lev did another round of the iPhone drum things, um, and he sent us like two hours of that, and I, I just made it like a goal like the last month. I was like, I'm going to record guitar to every minute of this. Like, even the dead time between, I'll like do a little interlude or whatever. Like, I think he expected me to edit it, but I was just like, no, nah, I'm just going to play. I'm just going to like, because <laughs> um, I'm not that experienced with guitar. So I was just like, okay, well. You know, fuck it, let's go. So I have no idea what will happen with that. I don't think that stuff will actually come out. It will just be like inspiration. But uh, yeah, New Kralis album. I mean, big fucking surprise. But <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Uh, and if you've, if you've heard the show before, you know where I'm going now. Um, it's time to, for, for us to ask you to recommend one old and one new album by any artist you like just to recommend something cool. Yeah, man. I am... Um... It's funny because I have listened to this podcast so many times and I completely forgot about this part. So you're kind of <laughs> catching me on the spot. That's, that's um, good. That's when you come up with the best stuff. But uh, I think for new uh, in the in the brutal death metal realm, like we've been talking about, I'd like to give a nod to a new standard lead band called Dispersed okay. and their album Where Silence Reigns, which came out March 27th. Um, that's just like... You know, it's not like, like, I love the super, like, splattery kind of brutal death metal, you know, or like the, the stuff where it's just ping, like, all the time, you know. But this is a little bit more pulled back to, like, a, a reasonable death metal taste. It's sort of the per the perfect middle ground between a more, like, you know, dead congregation, morbid angel type um, influence okay. and the full-on, like, brutal you know, splatter ping style. So, uh, yeah, Dispersed, Where Silence Reigns. Um, I definitely definitely recommend and um man old let me just take like a moment yeah we can edit man <laughs> yeah i think i just gotta go with what's just in my brain because 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 it's cause actually because i think you, you said the band name earlier but um but you know fuck it on the on the spot like let's just talk about this this is this is a pretty famous record like in some circles but um I would just say the record is uh, Coils, uh, Horse Rotivator. Kind of a funny title, but the band is Coil, C-O-I-L, Horse Rotivator, which is one of their earliest records. Um, it's from 1986, and uh, it's where they first kind of found like the first um, era of their sound, and it's like a big influence on industrial stuff that would come later like skinny puppy and uh, nine inch nails and stuff like that but it's um it doesn't sound like that it's not really as like heavy or or, or uh hectic um it's very dark uh and it's also very gay in subject matter <laughs> uh which is you know another another interesting aspect of them but uh but yeah, it's uh, it's kind of another it's kind of it's kind of its own beast. Um, and there's like strains of of, of goth um, and electronic music and uh, and industrial, um, and uh, it's just really you know like totally unique. But it's but it's musical. You know, it doesn't sound just like it doesn't sound like Mersbo. You know, it doesn't sound like pure noise. It's got vocals and stuff like that. Mark Allman from Soft Cell uh, is actually doing backup vocals on some of it. Um, and uh, yeah, it has this one song called Ostia, the death of Pasolini. And that like when I heard that um, when I was uh, you know in high school or whatever, like uh, it's it's about the death of this filmmaker, Pier Paolo Pasolini, who um, was just, I mean, almost too much to talk about. But this Italian filmmaker who was super duper interesting, who died under like mysterious and kind of shady circumstances when he was 50. 
um, made both uh, Salo, 120 Days in Sodom, which has kind of gone down as like, you know, a video nasty, like, you know. I, um, I actually saw that in the Cinema Arts Center here in Huntington in the theater many years ago. A lot, right, a yeah. Lot, so, you know, I mean, people I'm a little out. annoyed because it's like, that's not really his thing. Like, that movie is an allegory about Italian fascism, and that's why it's so ugly yeah. and brutal. Yeah, um, it was. But uh, because to him, it's like, you have to be as bad as that stuff really was, you know, to not sugarcoat it. Um, but I mean, to show his range, he also made uh, an adaptation of the Gospel According to Matthew called the Gospel According to Matthew, um, which is, I mean, it's still, you know, you can, it's, it's got his strains because this is Jesus as a sort of like, you know, flipping the money changer tables over, you know, uh, kind of anarchist almost Jesus, you know, um, uh, Jesus for the poor. But uh, but nonetheless, it's, it's so reverent and it's so... Um, faithful to the vibe that that movie is actually endorsed by the Vatican as like a good movie about Jesus. So like that's, those are the point, you know, and it's like, so this coil album, just like, you know, there's all sorts of cool references. Um, there's a Leonard Cohen cover and stuff like that. So it's like kind of, you know, it's funny because their logo is actually a circle with a bunch of arrows going out of it. And it's like, yeah, there are arrows pointing all over the place. So yeah, old recommendation off the top of, off the top of my head, no preparation. Wow, very interesting. I, you know, to be perfectly honest, I'm not familiar with Coil except by name. I just heard you mention them um, before, and I knew they were affiliated with that kind of scene that you that we were talking about before. That, that's yeah. that's a lot right there. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a lot. To yeah, they kind of don't have a sound. Um, yeah. Also, one also one of the guys was in Throbbing Gristle, which is you know another historical. Yeah. You know, it was just like the first industrial band, but uh, yeah, it's like Coil's almost more about like a vibe and a musician. And they just kind of made sounds for whatever they wanted. You know. Um, but it changes like a lot. It's like the vibe is consistent. The, the what the music actually sounds like isn't consistent at all, which is, you know, cool. I think. All right, man. Wow. <laughs> well, well, that's definitely something to look into. And I've said on the podcast before, we do have to explore that kind of side of um, uh, industrial power, electronic, whatever people want to call it, a little bit more. Um, but but that's that's for another time. Uh, tonight, sure, sure. T- tonight, Nick McMaster, we really appreciate you giving us your time and telling us a little bit of your story. As I said, there's a lot of recordings and projects and things that we didn't have time to get into tonight, but we appreciate you sharing everything that you did, man. Um, appreciate the recommendations. I believe we gave you the opportunity to plug anything you had coming up, but um, feel, yep. feel free to uh, just at the end throw anything in there, man. But um, thanks again for your time, and I'll just ask you, like I always ask people, any last messages for listeners of your music or listeners of our show? You know, just be excellent to each other. Wow, like Bill and Ted said. Pretty much. Yeah, man, awesome, man. Nick, thank you so much, brother. It's, it's been great talking to you, man. Yeah, man. All right. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. We just had to wrap that up like a game of chess in a New York City uh, public park. Thank you very much to Nick McMaster uh, for talking to us at late tonight about um, a lot of his projects. As I said, uh, you can explore his catalog in depth on your own time. Uh, Bandcamp is a good place to start. A lot of projects, a lot of albums. We didn't get to talk uh, to him tonight. We might have to get, maybe we should do like a Kralis 
full band interview or someone to get all those guys in. I don't know. People never stop asking questions about them guys, man. But shout out to Nick. We appreciate yeah, it. That might be a good idea. I mean, we could, I feel like we could just bring Nick in anytime. He's, he seems like so knowledgeable about all the stuff he's into. You know? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, what, what a great guest. Yeah, enthusiastic. Uh, Stretch and Papito, uh, living living in Poland, remembering Big Will's part. Poland. It's, it, I, I love the guy. Uh, shout out to Nick and all of his uh, cohorts, uh, the team of other brilliant musicians he's known to work with, uh, including Lev, his longtime drummer, who you can check out, and all these different projects we mentioned. Uh, I got to recommend again, just for my own, for my own, like if we had a recommendation round tonight, which we're not going to do because the episode is going pretty long. Yeah, no recommendations or voicemails tonight. We have we have plenty of those. Yeah, but we're yeah. not doing them right yeah, now. We, Sorry, guys. We we ration them out when the episode goes a little short. Then we throw in a voicemail to entertain. It happens. We got Tone Baldone in the bank, kid. Um, but uh, like I was saying, if I did have a recommendation tonight, it would be Kralis' latest album, Demonic Wealth, on our friends P2 Records. And I would recommend that if I wasn't personal friends with many parties involved. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's it's fine material. Yeah, great album. Uh, love it. I, I really, like I said, it, it stirred something in me. It hit a lot of different... It's kind of like perfect for me because I do like dungeon synth. I like atmospheric stuff. I, I like, you, you know, it, it, it goes so many places in realms, man. Great album. Uh, and also, we want to encourage you to check out all of his other bands that we talked about, including uh, Turris, uh, Ibernia, Edenic Past, another one that I could go on at length about. Uh, but won't now because we talked about it and we got to wrap, wrap up the episode. But Edenic Past again with Paula Baguntalan uh, and Garyon, his project with his, his uh, drummer Lev Weinstein. That sounds more, uh, that sounds like more than just a drummer and a bass player. Uh, but yeah, that was Nick McMaster talking to us at length tonight. Uh, I'm talking at length now. I'm going to pass it over to Tom because, Tom, I want to ask you if our, if our listeners want to talk at length. If they got a complaint, if they don't like me, if they don't like something I'm all about. Uh, they don't yeah. like what I'm doing up there well, in, in, the, in the in the room in the closet by myself. My I new see what's going on yeah. here. So yeah, you're gonna want to call six three one eight three seven three two seven four. Tell us about it. Yeah. Perhaps learn us how to be how, if you know what I mean, and I yeah. think you do. Step yeah. Step up to the plate. Tell us what your favorite late '90s, late night, uh, hot '97, or other New York hip hop station show was, and we'll see if we can talk about it. Shout out to K Slay, the Drama King. Uh, but no drama more tonight. You just got to go to heavyholepodcast.com for all those links. You want to follow us on the different social medias. I don't know what's going on with Facebook lately. People aren't seeing the posts. I don't know. Uh, it's, it's, Are we yeah. shadow banned because of something? Did we I, say something mean about someone? Dude, I feel like people aren't seeing the Facebook posts except for a few random. It's weird what's going on. But check out, check us out anyway. Heavyholepodcast.com for all the social medias. If you missed when Tom said the phone number that you got to call to leave a voicemail and we'll play it on the show. Uh, or if you want to support us on that uh, Heavy Hole Podcast Patreon, the link's there too. Uh, bonus episodes, sometimes we fill you in who's coming on the show. Uh, we, we probably should have let them know Nick was coming on to ask questions, but I'm kind of glad we didn't, man. That interview just kept going. I didn't get to ask all my questions. Yeah, no, I, I yeah. saw it. He's uh, you know, extremely thorough. And, yeah. uh, you know, the Patreon stuff, we got bonus content. We have a lot of it um, recorded, and I've been busy, so I'm going to be pumping stuff out. I fell asleep last night trying to listen to, to the, the proof and give you the edit. I'm sorry. I'll I'll I'll, yeah. I'll take a I'll I'll do cocaine tonight and stay up doing those edits. I just gave you coffee. Allegedly. I don't know cocaine. We're gonna go that. Allegedly. All right, Legend. Legend. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, we got some stuff coming out. Uh, sorry if there's a bit of a lull there, but thanks everyone on the Patreon. Uh, excellent, excellent community that's being built there. Uh, you can also reach out to us. We we do get back to you pretty fast on there. Uh, it's been hectic for me recently, so my bad if I have if you haven't heard back yet. But we are there. 
Yeah, I, I haven't even heard back from Tommy. I just showed up hoping we would do a show tonight. Nick, luckily, Nick was on the line. Listen, uh, but I'm going to leave you guys on the line for now. Uh, thank you to everybody, especially Justin. We wish Justin a healthy recovery. God bless that man. We love him so much. I want him back here interrupting me and going on unrelated tangents ASAP. Um, but tonight, this has been the Heavy Hole Podcast. Thank you again to Nick McMaster. And we are down how many co-hosts, Tom? One. One.